Answer my question! The question, jerk! Hey, listen, nerds. It's time for another Two-Headed Nerd Answer of the Week podcast with Joe and Matt. Indeed, it is time for the Answer of the Week. It is the best show on the internet, and I'll tell you why. It's because you guys do all the work. This is the show where my buddy, Joe Patrick. Say hi, Joe. It's me, Joe Patrick. It is, indeed. And my name's Matt Baum. We host the Two-Headed Nerd Comic Book Podcast. And like I was saying, this is the show where you hit us with your answers to the question of the week. Where is the question of the week? Well, I'm about to tell you. It's over at the THN forum. Joe Patrick posts it every Sunday, and then you guys respond. You can respond by calling our Google voice line at 402-819-4894, or you can send us an MP3 file to twoheadednerd at gmail.com. All we ask is that in the subject, you put answer of the week. It makes it easier for us to find. Joe Patrick, before we get to these answers from all of these sexy listeners, can you tell me what was the question this week? This week's question came courtesy of Jason Sachs. What is your favorite obscure comic? And we mean obscure, guys, not like. I don't know. Slapstick, but you can find that anywhere. Sure. Matt's example was Steel Grip Starkey and the Universal Tool. That is some obscure business there. Jason wants you to make a case for why. Yes. Jason wants you to make a case for why. We should seek it out in quarter bins or add it to our pull lists. You're not going to believe this. Aaron Myers. Remember that guy? He used to call the show every once in a while. You remember him, right? I thought he was dead. Yeah, I did too. One of the hosts of the Comics Therapy podcast. He calls in first this week. He jumped right on this one. Let's see what Aaron Myers has got for us. Hey guys, um, this is Aaron Myers, THN Love Slave, and one half of the Comics Therapy Podcast. Um, it's been a little while, but thought I'd call in with my answer for this week. Um, my answer would be Captain Tax Time. I thought it would be appropriate for this time of year as Americans are putting together their taxes to pay Uncle Sam. Um, it was published by Paul Hayes Comics. I don't know if there was more than one issue or if Paul Hayes Comics published anything else, and I refuse to look it up to find out. But Captain Tax Time number one is about uh, superhero Captain Tax Time, duh, who fights demons who want to raise your taxes. Um, obviously, you knew that just by the title. And it's awesome for this time of year, especially in April, when all our taxes come due, and everyone should go out and pay whatever money you have to to own a copy. Uh, all right, guys, that's my answer. Talk to you later. Bye. I tried searching Paul Hayes comics with two different spellings during that call. And I can tell you, if there's a Paul Hayes comics out there, Google doesn't know anything about it. <laughs> H-A-Y-E-S. You tried that? I tried H-A-Y-E-S. I tried H-A-Y-S. And I just tried H-A-I-S as well. I can't find anything on it. I'm going to say suitably obscure. Uh, perfectly appropriate for Aaron Myers. Absolutely. Aaron Myers. Well done, sir. I don't know. No, I, <laughs> Paul Hayes comics. I miss that guy. I'm glad he's back. Yeah, no doubt. Kevin Coffey, reporter at large, hits us with an MP3. He sends a JPEG too, but I'm not going to spoil his answer. Let's let him spell it out for us. Greetings, two-headed nerd. It's Kevin Coffey, THN, Love Slave, calling in. I'm not sure if this counts exactly because you asked for something that was an obscure comic that no one has read. Well, the one I picked was popular, but at the same time, I'm not sure how many people really liked it. 
<clears throat> I don't know if you guys remember Black Bull Entertainment. Remember when Wizard, the comics magazine, decided we're going to publish comics too? Well, the one comic they made, they made several, but the one that I think was the first one and was kind of high profile and stuff was called Gatecrasher. Uh, it actually has a pretty awesome crew that made it. Uh, Mark Wade wrote it. Amanda Connor and Jimmy Palmiotti did the art. It's about Alex Wagner, this kind of hapless high school student who's also a gatecrasher. Um, they're soldiers who keep evil aliens from jumping to Earth from interdimensional portals that pop up all over the place. I loved it. It was funny and really good, and I don't know that anybody even really remembers Black Bull Entertainment, let alone Gatecrasher. I actually met Mark Wade when he did a signing in town one time and had him sign a copy of Gatecrasher number one for me, and we talked about it. I was like, I love that series, and he actually had quite a bit of quite a few fond memories of it too. I dug out my back issues and it actually doesn't hold up very well at all. Um, the <laughs> art is very late nineties, early two thousands. There's just like every woman's boobs are falling out everywhere. It's like stuff that I don't think would fly very well, but the story is very good and the dialogue is great. It's great. Mark Wade stuff. So I also want to say real quick, if you don't mind, congrats on 200 issues long before you guys had a podcast, you were always my two go-to gentlemen for comics and you guys have kept me in books for more than a decade. So thanks a lot, fellas. That friggin' guy. What a dude. What a guy. Gatecrasher counts. Yeah. I mean, regarding the art, that was just, that's always just been Amanda Connor style. Yeah. And uh, like Amanda Connor's run it. She's a woman. So I feel like she can do that if she wants to feel free. <laughs> well, I'm not making any apologies for it. I'm just saying it's no different now than it was then. No, I mean, Amanda Connor's Amanda Connor. You're not going to change her. Don't try. Nobody puts Amanda Connor in a corner. Don't you dare put Amanda Connor in a corner. <laughs> I really, I really liked Gate Crash when it came out. I remember it fondly. Uh, I was a huge fan of Wizard Magazine. Like I was a Wizard Magazine apologist. You swore by Wizard Magazine. Now that was, of course, before they decided to become more of like a men's magazine, like Maxim, and all they talked about was movies and female cosplayers or whatever, <laughs> whatever else <laughs> they had in there. Um, but when they were when they were a legit comics news magazine before, I mean, the Internet was still a thing. I was really excited for their comics and Gatecrasher was awesome. Uh, there was a Garth Ennis comic that that they put out called Just a Pilgrim that I know a lot of people remember. That was fondly. good. As I recall, that was good. Who drew that? Was it? Uh... It was um, like Carlos Esquera or whatever. The guy that co created right. Judge Dredd. That absolutely counts. Thank you for your call, Kevin. Always good to hear from you, buddy. And thank you for the very sweet birthday wish. That was very nice. It was very nice. Black Scorpion, the three, checks in with us every week, and I'll bet he's got some pretty disturbing, obscure, bizarre business for us. That was bidness, by the way. That's how we say it on the street. Bidness. Hey, nerds. This is Black Scorpion number three, and I'll keep it short in accordance with the new rules. I had a pick that I couldn't name, so I asked for help on the forums. Anybody's got any leads on that uh, black and white dot comic? Uh, I'm still all ears on that. But my stand-in for this call is the Chuck Dixon Nightmare on Elm Street series from 2006. That guy could really tell a good Freddy story and build a 
that Nightmare on Elm Street lore while still being able to get that creepiness of those first few movies. Uh, one story involved a little girl in a coma, and you got to see how a coma state interacts with your dreams. Another involved a teen summoning this Aztec god of dreams for protection. It was pretty awesome. Uh, in terms of horror comics, I usually like stuff like Creepy or Tales from the Crypt. And when, when they're um, horror movie people, I, I just don't go for the chaos comic stuff. But this... This was good horror that was unique from, from, from that kind of line. Um, anyway, it ended pretty abruptly at eight issues. If it exists anywhere, it's going to be in the dollar bins or the quarter bins. So that's my pick. Till next time, make mine Dixon. I did not read this. Chuck Dixon, Nightmare on Elm Street? Yeah, I didn't read it either, but that's because I don't give a about Nightmare on Elm Street. I do give a Well, I give back in the day, I should say. 2006... That would have been Chuck Dixon. It was Wildstorm, dude. Yeah. I think even in 2006, Chuck Dixon may have been kind of fading out of mainstream comics. No, he was. He definitely was. That was Wildstorm. I I barely remember this coming out. I'm looking at yeah, the cover. Yeah, they did a Texas Chainsaw Massacre comic and a Friday the 13th comic, I I think. remember the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. For some reason, I didn't realize Chuck Dixon wrote the Nightmare on Elm Street one. I might have to go back and read that. Look at that. You learned something today. Black Scorpion the Three, edumacating us. Look at that. Thank you for your call. That definitely counts, and you know that I'm going to count it when you guys pick Wildstorm books. I mean, come on. Really. We go to the voicemail next. Looks like our buddy Dwight from Chicago. Hey, guys. Dwight from Chicago. Uh, happy belated birthday to the two-headed nerd. Um, answering this week's question of the week, what uh, obscure uh, comic series should you guys go uh, diving into the quarter bins for? Dinosaurs? For Hire, 1988, I want to say, uh, Comico in Malibu. What can I say? Dinosaurs, guns, babes, humor. It was a funny book back then. I haven't read them uh, lately. I have to go and dig my copies out. But I, I think a lot of the humor probably still plays. But that's my answer. Dinosaurs for Hire. I think that got me in under a minute and a half, so you shouldn't have to cut anything. I'm out. Peace. This is beautiful. You realize we have now had three calls. All three were under a minute. That's They're incredible. Ter- They're terrified of you. Oh, we scared the out of them. Tom Mason wrote and drew Dinosaurs for Hire. I loved Dinosaurs for Hire back in the day. Never read it. Oh, man. Loved it. Dinosaurs for Hire and like uh, X-Mutants. And what was the other book? Oh, Protectors. They all like jumped in and became like Malibu's first line of comics. Dinosaurs for, well, I guess I don't know any better. I was going to argue about it. it started, being, first it was Eternity, and then it was canceled in like 1990. It was revamped in 93 by Malibu Comics. But it wasn't like a shared universe, was it? Like, Dinosaurs for Hire wasn't in the same universe as Protectors. No, I don't think so. It was just, they were just all Malibu. Right. That's all. They were. I think they were separate stories. Now, that might have made Protectors a better book. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> that is some obscure joe patrick the 90s was a wild time oh i'll tell you what we barely lived through it as i recall i might be dead i might actually be dead yeah we could be in purgatory right now Ooh, what if we're all just somebody's Uh, dream you ever think about stuff like that stop it you're freaking me out what if we're just floating in a teardrop on a giant's face anthony from brooklyn (laughs) hits us with an mp3 Take it away, Anthony. Hello, Joan Matt. Hello, listeners. This is Anthony from Brooklyn submitting for your quarter bin diving pleasure the 1994 miniseries 
Strike Back. Uh, this miniseries is written by Jonathan Peterson and Kevin McGuire, with art by Kevin McGuire. Uh, this miniseries was originally published by the Bravura imprint of Malibu Comics. Uh, unfortunately, only three issues came out before the company folded, but Image picked it up and published all five issues. Now, why should you look for this? It's fun! That's it. It's a fun action romp. Uh, the storyline's very simple. The lead character, Rascal, uh, uh, his girlfriend, Nikita, is kidnapped by the superhuman bounty hunter, Doberman. So Rascal assembles his colorful crew of misfits to go and rescue her. And that's the story. That's it. But the uh, highlight here, well, there's a couple, really. The, the characters themselves are really interesting. Uh, they're super cool, like Rascal has no superpowers. But he does have a magic scarf. That's neat. He can turn his magic scarf into anything he needs it to be. A hammer, a chainsaw, a parachute, a rope ladder, a frying pan. Uh, and then there's an urban vigilante, very much like Spider-Man, called the Midnight Devil. He's super fun. I mean, really, it's, it's full of jokes, uh, and it's a lot of fun. And, of course, the artwork is phenomenal. Kevin Maguire's a beast. Uh, you know, the storytelling's there. The facial expressions are there. His work in JLI is fantastic, but I always felt that it was a little short on the action sequences. This makes up for it. So if you're ever looking for just like five issues to sit back, relax, and enjoy, I read it at least once a year because it's a lot of fun. Strike Back. Find it. Take care. I loved Strike Back. I remember seeing it. I never read it, though. I loved it. And you know why I loved it? The Doberman. That guy was awesome. He was like this badass dude with a Doberman head. <laughs> I remember, God, I think I was at Cosmic Comics and I saw a cover and it was Kevin Maguire, definitely. Very cool cover. And it like featured the Doberman. I this is like issue four. I don't even know what's going on, but I am buying that. And then I went back and bought all the rest. It was awesome. I loved Strike Back. Coincidentally, has nothing to do with the Cinemax show of the same name. I'll, I'll have to check it out. I've, Malibu. I, again, I totally missed it. Malibu getting all kinds of love on this. This is great. I'm waiting for someone to throw out sludge. I know it's in here somewhere. Let's go to the Google Voice line. Hey, two-headed nerd. This is Ian the Villain calling in to answer the question of the week. Real quick, I wanted to say congratulations on the 200 episode. I know I missed out on giving you guys props for the show. Thank you, Ian. But, uh, yeah, definitely. You guys are the best comic book podcast out there, hands down. I definitely look forward to listening all the time. Looks like those checks we sent uh, in are paying off. Uh, my favorite obscure comic, I like picking up random books just out of nowhere. I had quite a few to pick from when I was looking on my shelf, but I went with this Marvel book I randomly grabbed called Samurai uh, colon Legend. Uh, I don't think it really has anything to do with Marvel, per se, but it's from writer... Jean-Francois de Giorgio and artist Frédéric uh, Genet. Probably totally butchered those. It was a really, like, sweet Japanese, you know, period piece with samurais and, you know, a bad guy like General Akuma. I just remember grabbing it. It looked cool. It, it was a good read. And it just seemed like... It was a nice starting arc, and it was going to go somewhere, and there's more to it. And I've never found anything else to go with it or any continuing stories or what. It looks like it's a European book that Marvel brought over for their mature premium edition. I don't know. But it says Volume 1, so I assume there's going to be more. But now that I've read comics more, I learned there's a lot more Volume 1s out there than Volume 2s. So that's my pick, Samurai Legend from Marvel Comics. I thought that was awesome. I'm not sure if that's obscure enough or what, but uh, 
Love the show, though, guys. I really appreciate it. Have a good one. Ian, we love you, and that totally counts. So Samurai Legend that sounds was a- to me like uh, something Marvel published when they were importing in European comics through their Soleil imprint. That's exactly what it is. I was just about to say that. I just found it on the Marvel Wiki. Guess who doesn't have to look it up? Me. <laughs> like you're not at home Googling this stuff. I Come didn't on. have to look that up. <laughs> a weird comic that looks European with a bunch of French dudes working on it. I know what that is. I guessed it was Soleil, but I wanted to fact check and make sure. Okay. They also did, um, through that imprint, they did a bunch of other books like uh, Sky Doll and Universal a- War One. That book was great. I liked that one a lot. A lot of people thought that was a really good book. I remember seeing that one. I never really picked up any of those Soleil books because I hate square word balloons. <laughs> You're such a baby. I Seriously? <laughs> really? I just, uh, something about it, man. It, I have a hard time getting over that. You're going to have to grow up someday, Joe Patrick. Look, it's it's an irrational bias, and I am admitting to it. Okay, as long as you admit it's completely irrational. Admitting you have a problem is the first step. And now you know. Let's go back to the Google Voice line. Nathan Bradford, where's that guy been? No, I thought he was dead. Hello, this is Nathan Bradford, a.k.a. Hallucinathan on the forums. The rumors of my death have been greatly exaggerated. I'm just calling in with my answer to the question of the week. Obscure comic books. One that really stands out in my mind is one of Rick Remender's very first comic books that was published. It was a comic book called Captain Dingleberry, which had a Superman-like main lead who is literally wearing his underwear outside of his costume. And Matt, you may want to go ahead and get the bleep button ready because there is no kind way of saying this. He is assisted by four literal balls that are sentient, called the Fecal Four. And they're like rad Ninja Turtle-type personalities, except they're flying pieces of crap. Might want to check out some back issues, because this is truly bizarre scatological humor from the mind of Rick Remender, long before he was an X-Men writer. You have yourselves a good day. Bye. That totally counts. No doubt about it. Captain Dingleberry from Slave Labor Comics back in 1998. I have no input on Captain Dingleberry. I've never read it, but I just want to say that the transcript for Nathan's call is a treasure trove of potential titles. (laughs) Lose the Nathan. Rumors of my dad. Rumors of my dad have been greatly. <laughs> Captain Bingleberry. Captain Dingleberry from a young spry Rick Remender. I love it. And Harper Jatten or Yatten. J-A-T-E-N. I don't know. I don't know if Harper's still working in the business or not. We haven't heard from him for a while. So. Never heard of her. I'm oh, sorry. That's your line. I feel like Harper might be a dude. Well, probably. Keith Silva hits us. And he says, Silva here, one minute and 58 seconds, you sadistic jerks. <laughs> Enjoy. <laughs> when I heard the prompt this week, I thought, what kind of Silva clickbait is this? There's no way you two Marvel zombies would bite the casada that feeds you. So when I heard this question came from my good friend, the avuncular Jason Sachs, it all made sense. I'll let him talk about Omega the Unknown, but he'll probably pick something even weirder or 
obscure as the case may be. First, let me put in a word for Derek Von Giesen's Eel Mansions. The collected edition is available at Uncivilized Books, and it is gorgeous, weird, and wonderful. The story, if that matters to you, is somewhere between David Lynch wackadoory and a mix of oddball references to 70s rock and roll. It's about comics, cartoonists, secret agents, songs, dances, long car rides, mayonnaise, and Satan. The collected edition contains an introduction by Daniel Elkin and yours truly. Also, check out Dilraj Mann. He's a cartoonist from the UK who draws the curviest of curvy ladies. His comics are so obscure, you can't even get them most times. So check them out online. I recommend Stroke. If you're into porn comics, Matt, but you're bored by heteronormative standards, hey, wait a minute. Joe, <laughs> check out Agent 8 by Katie Skelly on Sluttist.com. NSFW FYI. Last but not least, here's one from before the 90s bubble burst. Thunder Mace. If anyone out there remembers Thunder Mace, the baby Jesus blesses you. I loved this book as a kid. It was oversized. It was but a warrior with a mace who fought demons. It was a total D&D Conan, every fantasy story you've ever read ripoff. And it was awesome. If anyone remembers Chaken the Forever Man, I think there was like a Chaken video game. His first appearance was in an issue of Thunder Mace. Hey, happy 200, you two. I never miss an episode, and I respect the hell out of you two, even though you're wrong, which is most of the time. Silva, you son of a bitch. Thank you very much, buddy. I've looked up Thunder Mace <laughs> from RAK Graphics, and they have a pretty good preview of the first issue. And let me tell you, there is quite a bit of narration in this story. <laughs> Don't be scared of words, Matt. Well, no, I mean, this is this is thick, man. And the art, let's just say there is something very late 80s about it that I can't quite put my finger on. But if you see it, you'll certainly know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Go to rakgraphics.com and you too can experience Thunder Mace. <laughs> so real quick... Keith and his pals at Comics Bulletin, uh, Jason Sachs and Daniel Elkin. I have seen them write about Eel Mansions before. It sounds like a really interesting book. It sounded to me like he was making it up as he went. No. <laughs> if you... Real talk here for a second. I haven't read the book, so I really have nothing more to say about it. But if you guys aren't going to Comics Bulletin on the regular, yeah, you, you gotta are do that. missing out. You got to do it. It's really good comic journalism. Keith, I love you, buddy. The dance continues. First use of avuncular. I was just going to say that. That's <laughs> <laughs> impressive. Impressive. Let's move on to our very own THN old timer. Ladies and gentlemen, quiet down a little bit because he gets scared of loud noises. Gregory Litchfield. Man, lay off. I love him. He knows I love him. Greetings, two-headed nerds. This is your number one true believer, Greg Litchfield, and the official THN old-timer. What obscure comic do I love? As I mentioned in my answer to last week's question, Space Ghost was my all-time favorite cartoon as a child. However, my second favorite was Hanna-Barbera's Johnny Quest. This 30-minute cartoon originally aired on Friday nights from 1964 to 1965, and even the THN old-timer isn't old enough to remember watching Johnny Quest's original airings. I would have been six. 
but I did watch the many re-airings on Saturday mornings for years after that. Back to the question at hand, before Matt and Joe cut me off. As a lifelong Johnny Quest fan, I was thrilled when Comico published Johnny Quest in the summer of 1986. That first issue contained a 12-page masterpiece by the creator of the show, Doug Wadley. The first issue also included a 12-page backup story written by William Mesner's Loeb, creator of the comic book Journey, and drawn by Steve Rude and Mike Roya, artists on the comic Nexus. Comic Go went on to publish 31 regular issues of Johnny Quest, with most of the run written by Mesner Loeb's and drawn by Mark Hempel and Mark Wheatley, creators of the comic series Mars for First Comics. But it also had some notable fill-in artists such as Adam Kubert, Murphy Anderson, and Carmine Infantino. There you go, Matt and Joe. Until Dr. Zinn blows up Quest's Palm Key Island home, this is Greg Litchfield saying, Nuff said! That was very dramatic. Man, I'm feeling it. Not to mention, star-studded, like, creator list on Johnny Quest. That's amazing. Yeah. You know, I have to confess, I never, ever cared about Johnny Quest. Oh, I loved Johnny Quest. And in fact, I have that whole Comico Johnny Quest run. I've got the whole thing. But I, like, I really appreciate the talent involved. And I think it's awesome Doug Wildey came back and did an original story for the comic. Thank you very much for your call, Greg. Always good to hear from you. And it's refreshing to hear that you were six when Johnny Quest was on, because I figured you were like 30. I didn't know. So, like when you say old timer, I picture you, you know, like the beard and the walker, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Folks, it's time for our favorite part of this show. Uh, right about now, about the middle of the show, we tend to maybe forget what the question was and where it was going. And our friend Randy Andrews is right there Easy. to remind us. <laughs> Take it away, Rando. Greetings, Joe and Matt. This is Randy Andrews emailing in for the question of the week. This week, I'm going to get down to the point. You wanted to ask about obscure comics that we may own that maybe somebody have never heard of. Well, I've got a trade paperback that probably not a lot of people have heard of, and it is truly awesome. It is called The Saga of the Seven Sons, Veiled Alliances. It's written by Kevin J. Anderson, and the artwork is done by Robert Taranashi with Wendy Fouts Broom for coloring. So you may wonder, what's this about? What's it going on? Well, it's an epic sci-fi story that starts with several different planets. Earth, a planet called Therok, where there's tons of trees, and then there's the Ildarian Empire. And these three places start a weave of masterful story writing, and the artwork is amazing, and it just gets you really interested into the whole series of the saga of the Seven Sons. Well, that's all I got this week, guys. Hope you enjoyed it, and check out my soundtrack blog at soundtrackalley.net. I will see you in a week. Bye for now.
I've been trying to help Randy get his soundtrack blog off the ground, and it's going to be good when he does. He's an internet phenom. We love it when he calls, and we love it when he resets our questions for us. I got all excited when he said he was going to get right down to the point, but then he ended up... (laughs) (laughs) Now, I went and I uh, did a did a quick Wikipedia search of this and I saw the cover and I was like, why do I recognize that? Wildstorm put this out. They put out this mini. Yeah. Which is why Randy picked it because he, and I'm not shaming him, but he, the dude is a slut for Wildstorm. So are you, it. buddy. You admitted oh, it earlier I am too. in this podcast. Hey, I'm not slut shaming. I'm a huge Wildstorm slut. I'll be the first to admit it. All right. <laughs> I remember seeing Saga of the Seven Sons. I never read it, but I do know Kevin J. Anderson. He's like a big time yeah. sci-fi novelist. Big time. Yeah. And it was like based on a book, like a series of books that he wrote. And I remember I picked up the first issue and I said to myself, this is way more than I want to get into right now. <laughs> so <All> right. <laughs> he I did just a bunch of expanded universe Star Wars novels. Yes, that's true. That's all I got. And with that, thank you, Randy, for your call. <laughs> Let's move right on to Mr. Jamie, James Hancock. Jamie Hancock. Says he may have been a little too close to the mic, but he was in a bit of a hurry, which, hey, that's fine. We all have schedules. I get it. Hello, to Ed and Nerd. This is Jamie Hancock, and I'm computerizing my voice here in Britain because I'm a British person. And before I start, I've definitely never called in before. So please don't worry about recognizing me or anything like that. Don't worry about that. Oh, I recognize you, Jamie Hancock. Is a comic called Sadist. This appeared in a British magazine called Deadline, which you might have heard of because I think it was the first place that Tank Girl appeared. They also used to run logical American strips like Aaron Dorkin stuff and Love and Rockets, stuff like that. And Sadist is a silly, funny, violent, gross-out slapstick, but always very, very witty comic. It's laugh-out-loud funny. Uh, it's about a guy called Harry Sadist, who is basically a kind of a bouncer slash bodyguard type guy and the humor in it is kind of similar to maybe milk and cheese um but like a british version of that with story arcs and deadline the magazine to cut a long story short it was kind of in the wrong place at the wrong time and it folded and it folded right in the middle of a of a a sadist storyline and i think maybe because of that it never really got much recognition and that's a a terrible shame because it's just so funny and i think had it arrived maybe 10 years later and been a webcomic it would be huge but as it is hardly anybody knows about it but all of that can change right now because the guy who wrote it don morris has put all of it online and he kept writing it after deadline folded and you can find it at harrysadist.com that's a real website. I'm not sending you to some horrific goatsy.cx type thing, although do be very careful when you enter that URL because, you know, who knows where you might end up if you get it wrong. Uh, also, it's really, really not safe for work. But please do go and visit it because it's super funny. Just really quickly, a good example of what it's the kind of thing that you'll find. Uh, at one point, Harry Sadist um, walks in on the back room of a pub where there's a, a cockfight going on, cock as in cockerel. Uh, first price is a toaster, which he decides he wants, doesn't realize that you actually have to be a cockerel in order to fight. 
beats up this chicken, kills it, holds it aloft, and says, there you go, piece of piss, where's my f***ing toaster? If that sounds like the kind of thing that would make you laugh, please do go there, it's great. <laughs> That's my answer, happy 200th episode, and goodbye, 200 nerd, goodbye. Oh, cock like cockerel, thanks for clearing that up. <laughs> so welcome aboard, James Hancock. No, Jamie Hancock has called in many times before, he's messing with you. Oh, has he? He's trying to get in on that Stephen Firo <laughs> action. Oh, everybody wants the Firo action these days, though. I mean, we're just living in Stephen Firo's world. Let's be honest. That's right. I HarrySadist.com is, in fact, a site. I'm there right now looking at some of the comics. They are very British, like extremely British, like in the sense where I'd really have to sit down and be like, OK, that's what he's saying <laughs> type thing. <laughs> but the art's good. And it looks kind of fun. I'm going to give it a read. I've never heard of HarrySadist.com. And I've never heard of The Sadist. I would have thought so that HarrySadist.com was in your bookmarks from way back. No, I look at other sadist websites. No. <laughs> I'm on the uh, Reddit backslash r sadist all the time. Oh, you <laughs> so, know what? That's probably a real thing. So, Oh, I guarantee it is. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Jamie. Uh, that was Jamie. an obscure comic. Yeah. Thank you for your call, buddy. Never heard of it, but I'm going to check it out. Hey, and you know what, you guys? Everybody that calls in, go to the forums and post links to this stuff so we can see it. So everybody can see what you're talking about. Please go into the uh, question of the week forum under this one and post links to this stuff so we can all have a look. It'd be fun. But right now, folks, I apologize. John Luttrell of the Burnt Wieners podcast is probably going to say something that's going to upset you. What can you do? <laughs> I'm I upset blame. just thinking about it. I blame his parents. Dinky on the road. Number one, 1994. That is the entirety of the message. <laughs> Let's just do that again. Dinky on the road. Number one, 1994. Dinky on the road. Google it. Uh, all right, that's what I'm doing. Dinky on the road. Number one. It's on Comic Vine. It is, in fact, Dinky on the road. Dinky appears to be a hamster in a hamster ball. This is Blind Bat Press, and Dinky is being chased by what appears to be the Grim Reaper. <laughs> there is no information on Comic Vine as to who created it, who drew it, but I can tell you that number one was $1.95. That is all I can find. <laughs> yeah, I think John had some feelings about our uh, draconian time restrictions boom got it greg highland drew it he also inked it and angela milgore colored it genre anthropomorphic funny animals satire parody this is according to comics.org <laughs> dinky on the road i am looking at the hamster ball yep steve remen apparently uh wrote the book greg highland drew it I had to go to poopsheet.ecrater.com to find a picture of it. Here's your synopsis. Introduction by Steve Remen, where he recounts that reading Dinky saved his life and he would write anything for 10 bucks. Also, Mark Innes recounts how he met John Milgore. <laughs> okay. Uh, Dinky, a hamster, runs away when the tooth fairy kills the family he lives with. That is the entire of the synopsis. That's the entirety of the synopsis. <laughs> Death follows Dinky. 
Wow. Uh, John, that definitely counts. Thank you very much for your call, sir. Oh, Greg Highland, he created Lethargic Lad. Oh, really? I've actually heard of that. No kidding. Yeah, Lethargic Lad is awesome. John, thank you very much for your call. Totally weird. I greatly appreciate how quickly you summed that up. Faster than anyone else. You might have my favorite call so far. I'll be honest. Right now, let's get to Elise Wisdom. She's got some nasty things to say about me. She does it every week, but that's what I pay her for. So. Hello, listeners. It's Elise Wisdom here to talk about obscure comics. My pick for most obscure comic that I love is one called Hail Kelly. It is by an artist based in Chicago named Sean Mack. It tells the tale of a giant demon that rises from the earth and then doesn't really know what it's supposed to do next, so it mostly just sets things on fire. It is one of the most bizarre things I have ever read, and I totally, totally love it. There's not a lot of writing in it. It's told mostly through pictures, and the artwork is beautiful and twisted at the same time. It kind of looks like Beavis and Butthead and Ugly Americans had a baby and then raised that baby in a mental institution. So I am a fan. Uh, If you want to check it out, you can buy it for $5 on YetiPress.com. I really cannot recommend it enough. I mentioned it on the forums a while back, and this is yet another great opportunity to talk about it. And I think that's about it for me. I got to keep it under two minutes to make Matt happy. Because he is my little garden gnome. <laughs> At least you can leave your money on the dresser drawer on your way out. Thank you, sweetheart. I appreciate that. Hail Kelly is, in fact, uh, still available from Yeti Press. I'm looking at it right now. Elise, you missed a perfect opportunity to say that Matt has to keep things under two minutes to keep his wife happy. Hey, oh, look at that. Joe Patrick, working blue. He doesn't do that very often. I'm impressed. <laughs> I'm sorry, Casey. Hail Kelly, and she's absolutely right. This very much does look like a uh, cross between Beavis and Butthead and... What did she say? Something about a mental, mental institution. <laughs> I okay. don't know. Well, I'm glad we're both paying attention. I mean, I listened. I just didn't remember all of the details. Yeah, I'm sorry. I, I was listening, Elise. I remember you saying that the art was gorgeous. <laughs> Uh, I'm sorry. I, I was just don't remember least, the analogy you made. <laughs> but it is available on Yeti Press. I'm looking at it right now, and it actually looks great. I might have to pick one of these up. It's only five bucks. Totally worth it, I'm sure. Bradley J. Tim, better known as Doc Flux. The man has an incredible haircut. You should look him up on the web if you get a chance. He hits us with an MP3. One that he says he recorded two years ago, I might add. Hello, this is Speak Later Phone Message Delivery Service with a pre-recorded message from... Doc Flux. Of... Feedy Comics. For the... Two-Headed Nerd. If this is the... Two-Headed Nerd. Please press 1. If this is not... Two-Headed Nerd. Please press 2. If this is only one functioning half of the... Two-Headed Nerd. Please press 3. Hey guys, uh, this was recorded two years ago, uh, so I really hope you eventually ask the question, what is an obscure comic that I love? Because right now, it's July 24th, 
2013. I just read this killer <laughs> one shot from Dark Horse. It's called Gamma by writer artist Ulysses Farinas. Uh, he apparently lives here in Portland, Oregon. Uh, check out this solicit. Dusty Ketchemall is a pathetic coward. He failed the entire planet, and now the only way he can make a living is by getting punched in the face for money. But when a beautiful stranger <laughs> wanders into his saloon looking for help, Dusty thinks he can conjure up the man he once was, the greatest monster trainer in the world. This 32-page biting, violent satire of Pokemon is hilarious, and the illustrations are weird, and it's uh, it immediately put this Ulysses guy on my radar, and he should be on yours, too. I gotta get out of here. I gotta catch them all. This concludes the message. Thank you for using Speaklater phone message delivery service. That was the best thing that's ever happened. <laughs> that was totally great. <laughs> that was pretty amazing. I do love Ulysses Farinas, though. That guy is amazing. Absolutely amazing. Most recently, he worked on the Judge Dredd Mega City 2, and it was beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. I give it a huge buy it on our show. I'm friends with Ulysses Farinas on Facebook. <laughs> what? Uh, and I think what? he's currently working on another Gamma. Very cool. Now I want to read this one. I, don't, I, I didn't know anything about this, so it totally counts. Super obscure. Even from 2013. We didn't know. I love that Doc Flux traveled through time to do that. That was incredible. Yeah, that was awesome. Thank you very much for your call, Doc. Check out Feed of Comics. You guys have some time. It's a good show. I listen to it every week. It's a lot of fun. Although, those boys have nasty mouths, I'm going to warn you. Let us move on to Talon Gallegos. What's up, nerds? This is me. It's Warbringer. The question of the week is, what obscure comic, old or current, do you love? For me, it's going to have to be recent, and it's going to have to be the auteur. The entire series from Oni Press, written by Rick Spears, art by James Callahan, was absolutely amazing. Okay. A lot of people bought it. A lot of people didn't. I know for a fact in my LCS, I was one of maybe four people that were picking it up. Great art, a fantastic story. It's punk rock in a comic book. I mean, it gives the middle finger to Hollywood. It gives the middle finger to comic books. It gives the middle finger to censorship as a whole. It's absolutely fantastic. It's gory. It's psychedelic. There's drug usage. There's over-the-top violence and blood and guts. There's sex. It's just, it's absolutely everything you want in a comic book, especially if you're looking for alternative type stuff. It's absolutely fantastic. I love it. Everyone should read it. If you think I sound like an asshole, that's fine, because you're probably one too, but you should still read the book. So uh, my votes for the auteur, the entire single run. I think it's only six issues, and pretty sure Rick Spears on Twitter said that. Volume 2 is coming out soon from Oni Press. Looking forward to it. Love you guys. Always listen. Always will. Uh, that's it. Later. That was a first time caller, right? Welcome aboard Talon the Warbringer. Warbringer. <laughs> Talon Warbringer, ladies and gentlemen, our first barbarian. I loved the auteur. Loved it. In fact, so much so that I gave it my Golden Beppo for Best Miniseries last year. It's cuckoo crazy, that's for sure. It was f***ing awesome. And Rick Spears is a lunatic. And it comes off as 
this like sweaty, insane acid trip of a comic book, and it is so good. I laughed out loud while I read it. Could not agree more. Excellent Pixar, and welcome aboard from Las Vegas. Thank you for your call, buddy, and welcome aboard. Let's go back to the voicemail. Hey guys, Jason Sachs here at Jason Sachs on the Twitters. Thanks for choosing my question. Hope you got some good answers this week. Sorry for calling in again instead of sending an MP3. Life's been busy. Um, as you obviously know, I love comics obscurity. So this question was right up my alley. What a shock, right? My question was up my alley. Um, that's fine, but it also makes the question tough for me to answer because I had so many different options for this question. I considered Matt Howard's otherworldly and anarchistic, those are more annoying Puss Brothers and Savage Henry, brilliantly weird mid-90s DC comic series Anima that explored Freudian concepts or the adventures of a homeless teenager with strange superpowers. I considered a couple of concepts, my, my beloved Steve Gerber, the uh, incredibly underrated Ultraverse comic Sludge, and the astonishing and enigmatic... Boom! There's my sludge! ...is my favorite comic <laughs> of all time. On the art comic side, I gave serious consideration to uh, Kevin Huizenga's Ganges, which is one of the most brilliant, playful, and strangely haunting comics of all time, and Guy Colwell's Inner City Romance, which is a uh, brilliantly almost documentary-style graphic novel about uh, life in the inner city, recently published by Fanagraphics. I ended up choosing Paul Griss, police procedural Kane. If you've never read Kane, and chances are you've never heard of it, Kane is a police procedural comic that takes place in and around the 39th precinct in a very realistic New York City. There are no superpowers, but there are a group of hardworking, quirky, and deeply flawed police officers who get caught up in adventures that are sometimes absurd, sometimes terrifying, and always captivating. It's a lot like Ann McBain's Amazing Crime Novels, one of those great ensemble cop shows, but with a brilliantly dark storytelling style, all done in black and white with a piercing dark beauty that compels long, lingering looks at the beautiful inkiness of it all. Best of all, the series doesn't take itself too seriously, alternating between humor and smart drama in a way that helps to make both more powerful. Chris self-published came through his own British publishing house, Dancing Elephant Press, which accounts for its obscurity, Though the series was collected in six volumes through Image, one of those comics that works on every level for me, its characters are compelling, the stories are unpredictable, the art is gorgeous, and despite its 31-issue run, I'm always going to be pining for more stories of the 39th. Paul Griss Kane. I bet Legend can order a copy of these graphic novels for you. Do it! Thanks. Bye. Dude. Joe Patrick and I both I very much Kane. enjoyed Paul Griss Kane. It's fantastic. It is a fantastic book. And Paul Grist... Total comic book badass. We both loved him. I have loved everything Paul Grist has ever done. Pretty much. Uh, the last thing we read, was it Mudman? Was that the last thing he did? Mudman, yeah. Yeah. And it was great. We both loved it. I reviewed it on the show. Gave it a huge buy. I believe you agreed with me. Yeah, I really enjoy Mudman. Jack Staff is a great... Uh, oh, Jack Staff is awesome. A superhero kind of analog story featuring a, a Union Jack style... Uh, superhero and his compatriots a uh, really excellent twist in the first arc of jack staff about who who the villain is it's awesome what a great i answer. gotta say sax surprises me and goes with something that i've actually heard of i thought he was gonna dig just deeper than deep 
You, be like, this one came from an idea scrawled on a cocktail <laughs> napkin from Dave Sim one night after he was coming down from a speedball. <laughs> Halfway through Jason's call, I resigned myself to not even bothering to make a note of what he said because I knew I, yeah. wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to relate to it. Uh, yeah, I was like, OK, I don't know. I, I'm not sure what's going on. And then all of a sudden you hit me with something that I didn't know. <laughs> so I Great guess call, it's not Jay. that obscure. Sorry, Jason. Disqualified. Yep. Doesn't count. Sorry, buddy. <laughs> Just kidding. No, that was a great call. And that's a great answer. I totally agree with him. We both love Paul Grist. We both love Kane. Nicely done. Mr. Sachs. Always good to hear from you. But right now, you got to get to the angriest man on the, on the internet. This guy is so pissed off. Seanix, ladies and gentlemen. Hello to it, a nerd. Seanix, emailing in with my favorite obscure comic book. Now, it might not be too obscure. Um, a lot of you listeners may own it, but some of you new, new guys may not. Um, some of you old ones may hated it. I loved it myself. It came from Marvel Comics. Sold for $1.25 in 1989. And it was called Power Pachyderms. And it starred a group of X-Men <laughs> themed, well, sort of X-Men themed elephants. The sort of X-Men theme was they had, the one female of the group was an Electra. She was called Electra Lux uh, after the vacuum cleaner. And then you had Mammoth, the Colossus guy. You had Rumbo, the Wolverine type one and then you had trunk clops uh i think that's pretty easy unexplanatory there but uh, it was i really enjoyed the comic it's really fun it's really over the top it's really out there uh they end up fighting this group of monks that are like the three stooges even shemp's involved um they fight their main villain that they fight is the the maestro which is like this magneto guy um who's like a nazi um uh, the boss is in it, the Prince Willa Nelson, because he gets all these like pop stars together and rock stars together. And it's a lot of craziness. And then um, at the end, spoiler alert, uh, Electrolux turns into Rogue Elephant, which is like the Dark Phoenix. But I had a lot of fun with it. I really liked it. You could find it in quarter bins, maybe even higher now. Uh, they never continued with the series, which is heartbreaking. Um, but I really enjoyed it. I think everybody should go and check it out. That's it. Thanks guys. I even talked about it on the poll list. Oh, the poll list. We made it over 200 episodes. Congrats guys. Happy birthday. But, uh, we didn't make it too far after 200. So good luck guys. Talk to you next week. Peace. Did you make it to 201 buddy? (laughs) Power pachyderms. Wow. <laughs> it, that's a, I don't know that's what a comic that I can picture. I can picture it so clearly, but I've never uh, read know, it. it but, but I've I seen it so many it times in, in back issue bins. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And it can't be worth any more than a quarter at this point. Ladies and gentlemen, the only man in the world that loved Power Pachyderms, Shonix. Other than the God guy that created it. it. Huh? We don't know that they that he loved it. I mean, in fact, it may have been one of those like permanent midnight situations where he was like writing Alf and like taking heroin at the same time and trying to get fired. We don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Back to the Google voice line. You guys were unmerciful in the amount of calls we got and we love it because you're all keeping it short and that is fantastic. Thank you so much. I cannot thank you enough. Seriously. Unmerciful, AKA merciless. Hey, I'm Danny. I'm from Iowa, and I'm here to uh, answer the question of the week about what's the craziest comic book you've read, and you kind of liked it. Um, I'm thinking of Justice League Dial H 
23.3 is part of the Forever Evil storyline. I mean, I guess the story sucked, but the art was pretty weird, too. I mean, I liked how the powers came with the dial H and everything. It was kind of absurd. I liked it. Um, thanks. Bye. Danny, welcome aboard. Joe Patrick, Whoa. do me a favor. Tell Danny about Dial H. Ooh, uh, Dial H was uh, based on an old concept from the 60s called Dial H for Hero about a, a young a teen boy that finds an alien device with uh, letters on it. And when he dials the word hero, he becomes a superhero at random with powers and a costume and a crazy name. And that uh, concept was rebooted several times over the decades, most recently in the book Dial H from the New 52. It did not last very long. In fact, the last issue of Dial H, the last Dial H story was that uh, Justice League 23.3 from Villains Month in uh, 2013. I did not know they incorporated that. Well... You know, if you recall, the first year they did the 3D covers, they did all those point the they did like point one, point two, point three, point four for everything. And so rather than doing one for every book, a lot of things got folded into existing titles. So Dial H had already been canceled. Uh, they used Justice League 23.3 to to tell the last Dial H story. OK, I love Dial H, though. And Danny, welcome aboard. Good to hear from you. Thank you for your call, sir. Danny, if you liked that comic, you should track down uh, the series Dial H. It launched in uh, 2012 or 2013. It only lasted about a year, uh, but it was super fun. Uh, and if you if you like the concept in general, if you want to know more about it, uh, my favorite version of it was from the early 2000s. It was called Hero, and it was written by Will Pfeiffer. Yeah, of course. Absolutely. I loved it. That's a that's a great book. And that it only lasted two years, but it's really a lot of fun, and it's got great art. It's the first time I remember seeing Dale Eaglesham. He took over the series about halfway through. So yeah, highly recommend it. Track you it are- down. Danny, thank you so much for your call. Dial H for Hero, uh, something Joe and I both love, but definitely obscure. Not, certainly not A-list comic title. Absolutely not. Let's get to Charlie Tron. It's been a little bit since we've heard from him. And uh, we do blame you for that, Charlie Tron. We miss your calls when you don't call in. Hello, THN. This is Charlie, a.k.a. Charlie Tron 3000 on the Twitter. And uh, just calling with my answer of the week. Happy belated... 200 episodes guys uh all the way from canada i also just wanted to say my answer for the answer of the week is the thn's very own um what do you call that book it's been so long since it came out if it's ever coming out anyways it's your book because i'm pandering at any rate have a good one guys hope to hear 200 more uh also stop comparing me to chris brown i'm just gonna go ahead and say that right now (laughs) The sex candle is totally fine. Just stop comparing me to Chris Brown. Okay, I don't get the Chris Brown reference. Yeah, you but told, you com- you compared him to Chris Brown on the podcast. I did. Yeah, <laughs> see, you don't I even say? remember when you say like this. No, I don't. Well, I'm usually on drugs when we do this. So the untold tales of the two-headed nerd. Yeah, guess he what? Disqualified. 
extremely obscure. I'll give you that. Extremely obscure. So much so that we may never see. So obscure that only one person has laid eyes on it, and that's me. It's sad. It really is. Uh, was Charlie urinating during his call? Because that's what it sounded like. That or showering. One of the two or maybe washing his dog or something. I'm not exactly sure. Charlie, thank you for your call. And folks, I've been working Joe Patrick for a while now. I've been yelling at him. I've been massaging him. I've been encouraging him. And I've been burning him with cigarettes. And none of it seems to work. I don't know what to tell you. We've got some amazing stories to tell. And he refuses to draw them for you. And I apologize for that. And you know what? I blame myself. I'm done blaming Joe Patrick. I blame me. I do what I want. You know, actually, now that you mention it, I'm not sure that Charlie has ever actually called in. Charlie Tron? Haven't we heard from him before? Or do I just recognize his name from Twitter and well, and from the uh, message board? You know what? I don't know. But let's welcome him aboard anyway. Let's welcome him aboard. Charlie Tron, you might, this may be welcome to Stephen Firo country, but welcome aboard, buddy. Let's go back to the Google voice line. I think we have a first time caller here. Hey guys, David Guffey here, first time caller, long time listener. Yes! Um, the uh, book that I would recommend that's obscure enough that maybe not, not many people have heard of it is called The Boz Chronicles. And it was from the Marvel epic line of comics back in 1985 or 86. Oh my God, is this the story of Brian Bosworth? It was basically set in Victorian England. Uh, no. And this alien no, it's not. either crash lands or something gets trapped on Earth. And he ends up teaming up with these two young women and becomes like a, a detective, sort of a Sherlock Holmes type with a sci-fi twist on it. Um, anyway, I don't know that it's ever been collected, but it's probably cheap if you can find it in a quarter bin or a long box somewhere in your local comic shop. Um, anyway, that's my suggestion. And thanks a lot. Bye. The Boz Chronicles. I have no idea. I, I've never I have read no it. Clue. I again I remember seeing it. I thought maybe this was the Brian Bosworth football player from Oklahoma. <laughs> like Stone Cold Brian Bosworth. I thought maybe this was his uh, autobiographical comic book. It was not. But David, welcome aboard. No, it was not about Brian Bosworth. <laughs> it was it wasn't about that boss. A boss, not the boss. David, welcome aboard. Thank you for your call, sir. Good to hear from you. Joe Patrick and I have no idea what this comic book is. That's fair. That is some obscure business, sir. Back to the Google voice line. We were inundated by you guys. I thought the obscure comic book might steer some of you away. Didn't work. So the questions are going to get harder after this week. Dom Janicek. Take it away, buddy. Dom Janicek here, checking in with another answer to the question of the week. I love that he starts with his this first time name. He wanted to know what our favorite obscure comic book was. How about Weird War Tales uh, from D.C. that came out in, like, the 70s? Um, all I can remember was that, like, the covers had skeletons dressed in Nazi fatigues and, and all kinds of weird, scary stuff like that. And, I mean, I remember being scared at the time, but, it's like, also intrigued. Um, but that's, that's the easiest thing that comes to my mind for an obscure comic book. Enough said. Dom Janicek, checking out. I'll take it, Dom. Weird War Tales. I love it. It was weird as hell. It was War Tales with zombies, with dinosaurs, with vampires, all kinds of stuff. Yeah, I love all of those weird DC anthology books, like strange sports stories and weird Western tales and weird war tales. In fact, you are reviewing I'm, strange sports stories on this week's show. I am reviewing the revival of strange sports stories on this week's show. Hooray. Great answer, God Dom. God bless you, Vertigo. And God bless you, Dom Janicek. 
<laughs> I don't know who this one is. Let's go back to the voice line. Hey, hey, okay, so, and, uh, Charles, I ain't seen this no before you nothing, but, uh, you know, still driving home from work. I'm going to get this in four or five o'clock, so I don't get his penis in twist, but uh, it's first time in a long time, and then, then, then I was calling about you. <laughs> You're, uh, I'm not getting a word of this. Unusual, what? I can't remember what it was. I can't remember... I read the question. I don't know what the answer is. I, I, I can't remember what specific words you said. But anyway, here's the answer for you, all right? This is, this is when I was a little bitty first time in a long time. I, this is my first comic book. Uh, it was in the comic book. It's a magazine. And uh, it was uh, but it had comics in it. And the title of it is Cartoons, right? Bitch, not too many of y'all even know what this is. It's not in print anymore. It ain't been in print for about 30 years. But, you know, not a little bit. I used to ride up to the gas station. It's a simple case. I get this when I had changed my belt for family and everything. I'd ride my bike up there. There's cartoons, and it was the car, and it was fun. Right? It's about cars. That's what it was. It was. A comic book strip series that had cars in it. And the art was very beautiful. I tell you, if you can find this thing, you need to get it. Because it's gorgeous. Uh, but a great Gary, I can't remember his first name. Trossley was an artist on it. Sean Carey was an Alex Tote was an artist on it. It ran for about 50 years. And it was, I mean, it was gorgeous. Find cartoons. Go ahead. Just go to the Google. Don't go to the Google, look for cartoons, magazines, you're going to see it. You're going to like it, right? We'll talk to y'all next time. Keep it up to two minutes, Joe. Two minutes. Don't want to go over. (laughs) (laughs) Hard to understand quite a bit of that. But first time, long time. Comes out with CAR, C-A-R in all caps, Tunes Magazine. Cartoons. Yeah. Automotive humor. It's like a, it was like a mad magazine, but for car culture. Yes. Originated by Carl Kohler and drag racing artist Pete Miller. I was not aware that there are drag racing artists out there. Well, come on, man. You haven't, you haven't heard of, um, oh shit. What's that? Um, Rat Fink. Rat Fink. <laughs> I think that was something different. Cartoon. Oh, Rat Fink was created time. by Ed Big Daddy Roth. That's something different. That's right. I loved <laughs> Cartoons Magazine when I was growing up. I had a bunch of them. They were really beautifully drawn. Yeah, they were gorgeous. And a couple of those stories from Cartoons Magazine stick with me even as an adult. Like, they were really affecting. There was one uh, that was set in the far future where everything is paved and humanity existed inside their cars. But they were like giant home-sized cars, like RVs. And you could detach and go to the movies or go to the fast food restaurant or whatever. Kind of like culture was the same sort of, but it all existed inside these cars. And these two teenage kids had an accident that drove them off the roads and they rediscovered nature. For like months, they lived in nature, like re-communing with nature. And they were found by the authorities and then redoctrinated like Clockwork Orange style. Oh, man. Yeah, it's dark as hell. That's beautiful and terrifying. Cartoons. It was not for kids. Thank you for your call. First time, long time. Always good to hear from you, buddy. But right now, we got to get to Harvey Locust. Nerds. Locust. Answer. Week. (laughs) Um, Nation of Snitches. 
It's a single issue written by John Hammer, released by Piranha Press in 1990. Um, this should be an easy, well, not too easy of a find, but it's a single issue, so you don't have a whole series to look for. This book came out at a time when um, I was really angry with the church, you know, with churches in general, not the church. It caught my eye, and it, it, it's, a, it's a great, fun little read. It's about a guy who listens to Christian heavy metal music and kills people. And even though he carves crosses in their forehead, people still think it's something to do with Satanism. So, in order to get his revenge, he goes to a, a new TV show called Nation of Snitches that just started. And it's a TV show that you... It's a call-in kind of like America's Most Wanted where you got, like, not just cash, you got, like, prizes. Like, you got trips and stuff and cars and stuff, like, if you turn in your neighbors and whatever. And another interesting thing about this book is that the writer John Hammer went on to write, like, really weird Christian novels. Like, I, I can't even begin to describe them, but look them up. Look them up on eBay, or not eBay, Amazon. So it's a very interesting concept, uh, very relevant to the time. Suggest checking it out. It's one of my favorites. Later. Cause I'm killing for Jesus. I have no idea what Harvey was talking about. I've never heard of that. I found it on Amazon. John Hammer, Nation of Snitches. It came out in 1990. That is suitably obscure. That's crazy obscure. I have no idea what that is. You guys, if you're going to call in with music, tell me what it is. You know I go nuts about this stuff. I'm a music nerd. Come on! But thank you for your call, sir. David Brown. Hello, it's David Brown calling from England. This is a great question. There's so many to choose from. My first thought was to skew old as usual and pick something I loved from the 80s, but... No one wants to hear me going on again about how great things used to be and how rubbish they are now, especially since I don't even think that. I probably buy more comics now than I ever did. So I thought instead I'd pick something where if someone actually listens to me and picks it up, it could still do some good. So not sure how obscure this is, but I rarely hear anyone talk about it. I'm going for Blood Queen from Dynamite. It's a surprisingly well done medieval fantasy. Sorry, I know Joe Patrick doesn't like fantasy. You could easily catch up. There was an initial <laughs> six-issue series and an annual and a new four-issue Blood Queen vs. Dracula miniseries has just started. It's not going to change the world or anything, but if you're looking for a fantasy world with a bit of magic and horror, intrigue amongst the nobles, and an ambiguous anti-heroine lead, this is well done and doesn't seem to get any publicity at all. I'd like there to be another series after this, so uh, check it out. Yeah, Blood Queen. I am familiar with it. There is a, there is a Blood Queen vs. Dracula. It comes out this week. Yeah, I believe it is coming out this week. I don't know anything about the Blood Queen. I'll be honest. Nor do I. About it. Okay. But I do know that with the most simple of Google searches, Matt could have discovered that Killing for Jesus is a song by the Circle Jerks. No. I, I own that record. Oh, my God. That is embarrassing. And I love Keith Morris. He's one of my favorite lead singers. Oh, man. I'm embarrassed. I miss the Circle Jerks. That is bad. I should have nailed that. But anyway, David... Thank you for your call. Blood Queen. It's true. Fantasy, not normally my go-to genre, but I'm always happy to hear when people love books from Dynamite, who I tend to be kind of hard on. 
It's true. Joe Patrick does not exactly have a hard on for dynamite. Hey, waka waka. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, it's toots time. Hey, it's toots. I'm going to read you the uh, solicit <laughs> from the back of a 1977 comic book straight out of the Marvel bullpen bulletins. Item. If science fiction is in the works this month in our black and white tryout mag, Marvel preview. Our color experimental book, Marvel Premiere, is covering the other side of the coin, namely fantasy. We're presenting Weird World, an excursion into the realm of wizards, elves, and mystic monsters conducted by Devil May Care, Doug Monick, maniacal Mike Plug, and active Alex Nino. If you've thrilled to Tolkien's The Hobbit or Lord of the Rings, We've got a hunch this is going to be just what you've been waiting for. In fact, with enough sales and letter encouragement, we just might be able to convince the powers that be that now is the time for a regular epic fantasy comic. That's right, folks. Weird World. Uh, The thing with Weird World is it never had a series. So the first appearance of Weird World is in Marvel Premiere number 38. From there, it uh, jumps to, uh, what is this, a Marvel comic super special in 1979, two years later. And uh, there's three issues, magazine-sized, called Warriors of the Shadow Realm. And for those issues, John Bushima takes over as penciler. And the work is incredibly beautiful. And then it's uh, painted, uh, all of the pages... Um, well, not all the pages, but the, all the artwork is painted uh, by Peter Ledger. There's even, in the first issue, a triple-page fold-out. That is incredible. And I wonder, is this the first time they ever did this type of thing, a fold-out? Now, I have the Marvel premiere. I have the three super specials. I actually have two issues of... Did we lose him? I must have cut out. Yeah, I think we lost him. Well, oh, that's okay. We got the gist of it. Weird, weird right. world. I don't know no weird world. Uh, I only know about weird, weird world because Marvel is reviving the title as one of its battle world miniseries for Secret Wars. Seriously? Yes. Oh, that's awesome. That's pretty awesome. So it counts as obscure. We agree. Oh yeah, totally. Weird world. All right. I don't know why we lost you there, Willie Toot. So I apologize, buddy. It, but I think it's time for us to get to our final call. Oh, my God. Our final call. It only took almost two hours. Let's go to Demetrius Murray. How's it going, guys? Demetrius from FTO. I know Matt's going to get pissed because I keep using MP4s. I use my voice recorder on my phone. That's why they're MP4s, That's man. fine. Just it counts. It's know. fine. But uh, my answer for the week is going to be Ash from Event Comics. Came out around 94. James Robinson and Joe Cuesta did the work on it. It's about this firefighter named Ashley Quinn. He gets trapped inside of a burning building, but he's inside this regeneration chamber from the future. And the building goes down and he has all these fire powers. So he has like these these gauntlets that shoot uh, fire blades out of his arm. And he can shoot like fire beams and fire blasts. It sounds stupid as hell. But I was a kid when this came out. So to me, this was the coolest thing ever. And it came out like in the 90s, man. Like it fit that whole trope of just weird 90s crap. That was uh, that was my jam back in the day. Was Ash? So yeah, Vic Comics, 
Ash, Ashley Quinn, that was that was the comic. Obscure as hell, because everyone I talked to had no idea what the hell I was talking about. Ash, about some firefighter. Why the hell don't read a comic book about a fight? Like, Joe Quesada did this, man. Whatever. Yeah, that's my stuff. So, take it easy, guys. I can't wait to hear you guys' answer. Hopefully, Joe knows what I'm talking about. He works in a comic book shop. Oh, I know. I, I loved Ash. I totally loved Ash so much so that I have an original Joe Casada Ash sketch. Oh, cool. Bang. In your face. That's that's really cool. <laughs> yeah, Ash, Ash came out. Joe Casada was on the rise. He he got his start kind of at DC. He he did uh the Ray for DC Comics. And then he had a stint on X Factor, Peter David's X Factor. Uh he did Ninjack for a while for uh Valiant. But where he really hit it big was Sword of Asriel. Uh, a lot of people forget that Joe Casada drew the Batman Sword of Asriel miniseries, but it was inked by Kevin Nolan, and so it doesn't really look like his work. That is true, and it was beautiful, absolutely beautiful. And then, yeah, from there, he kind of he and Paul Miotti launched Event Comics, and they did Ash and uh, Painkiller Jane. From there, based on their work with that company they got the job running marvel knights for marvel that's what led to joe casada becoming editor-in-chief so ash was kind of one of the main things that led joe casada to where he is today at marvel it's a really important book in his career yeah and it, it still holds up too it's absolutely beautiful i forgot james robinson wrote that you know what i did too let's get to our favorite call let's do it favorite call i gotta go with doc flux that was amazing what Doc Flux did traveling through time like that, really impressive. I kind of feel bad just giving it to the dudes that have the time to really put production values into their calls. <laughs> no, but it was totally awesome. It was so good. It was a very funny call. I will say. And Doc Gamma, which is something that I want to check out because I really like Ulysses Farinas. And I was not aware of that book. I'm going to check it out. I will say that Doc Flux uh, provided my uh, most entertaining call. Okay. But my favorite pick for obscure comic, I think I'm giving it to Jason Sachs for Kane. For Kane? Yeah, man. I love that book. All right. I will say my favorite pick for just like most obscure comic that I want to check out. Nation of Snitches. Harvey Locust. I want to check that out because that sounds crazy. So many good answers. Hard to pick just one. Let's get to ours. Joe Patrick. Mine's not a secret. In fact, mine is one I've, I've harped on for years. And if you listen to the show... You already know it. It's Alien Legion. This is a series for Marvel Epic. It was Carl Potts and a guy named Alan Zalentes, and they did the first 20-issue series, which I actually read later. The first one I picked up was the Chuck Dixon and Larry Stroman. The second series is an 18-issue series that came out like 1987, 88, or something like that. And it was just called Alien Legion. They dropped the Alien Legion. Larry Stroman had this crazy art and just drew the most bizarre aliens you've ever seen in this French Foreign Legion type military group that was just sent to all manner of frontiers to fight hopeless battles. It was just incredible stuff, really well written. They killed a lot of characters, so which was something that didn't happen a lot at the time. So it felt like there were real stakes behind the stories. It didn't look like anything else on the stands. And Epic Books were printed on really nice paper. I remember them having heft compared to like the X-Men comics that I loved so much at the time. Just wonderful space military stories. Titan Comics tried to bring it back 
recently. I don't think it sold well at all. They had a series called The Uncivil War, and Dixon and Potts and Strowman are all back for it, and it's right there. It picks up right where the tone left off. All the characters you love are here. Saragar, their leader, Tonk, the big badass with huge guns, Tori Montrock, who is kind of like the human member, Jugger Grimrod, total badass, and the, uh, what were their names? The Icks. They were the little squirrel men that followed him around and worshipped him, and Miko, who was like the medic. Just an awesome cast, great stories. I love Alien Legion to this day. Good answer. I've never, I've only read a handful of issues. Does Joe Patrick have an answer? Well, I don't know. I thought maybe you'd set me up for it instead of just sitting in awkward silence. Joe Patrick, give me your answer. Thank you. So for the love of God, (laughs) my favorite obscure comic is probably not all that obscure. I mean, it's a DC comic from the 1980s. Uh, It's not it can't possibly be that hard to find. It's not expensive or anything. But I don't think that that many people have heard of it or even remember it. But it left an impression on me. Uh, as a kid. And that series is called Amazing Man. Oh, I loved Amazing Man. Uh, apostrophe M-A-Z-I-N-G-M-A-N. Amazing Man was created by Bob Rosakis and Stephen Stefano for DC in the 80s. It ran uh, for about a year. And then there was a couple of specials in the late 80s and into the 90s. Bob Rosakis had a a pretty long career for DC in the 60s and 70s. Oh, mostly in the 70s, I'd say 70s and 80s. Uh, He was known as DC's answer man. And if you read pre-crisis DC comics in the early 80s, it was in their back pages, like the, the DC equivalent of bullpen bulletins so it was just like um here's what's coming out this month you know that kind of page and the answer man bob rosakis would answer like continuity questions like if the atom was uh doing this over here then how come this atom was doing this over here and he'd say well matt from omaha the answer is well that was the earth 2 atom and then he would explain what earth 2 was (laughs) it was awesome That's totally awesome. So Amazing Man was about this guy, this this little lunatic, but he was harmless. And his name was Siegfried Horatio Hunch the Third. And he had a homemade costume and he thought he was a superhero. But all the good deeds he did were like um, babysitting. (laughs) Uh, helping with minor plumbing problems. And one time he actually saves a life. He saves a a neighborhood kid from getting hit by a truck. And that makes him something of a neighborhood celebrity. And so that the story kind of picks up from there. And his best friend, his best friend Denton looked like a dog for some reason, even though he wasn't the dog, he just looked like a dog. And yeah, he looked like a dog and he made comics for a living. Like he wrote comics. And I just I really love that book. It's so innocent and so quirky and so fun. And Stephen Stefano is an amazing artist who went on to work heavily in the animation field. And if you've seen modern comics like the revival, like the revival of the 
Disney animated shorts. Dave Stefano worked on those. He worked on Venture Brothers. Like he's had a hand in a lot of major animation projects lately. He is an awesome artist. And Amazing Man was the first time I, I did not know that. Yeah. Amazing Man was the first time I ever saw his work, and I've been a huge fan ever since. Found it on Wikipedia here. His best friend, Denton, uh, was a writer for BC Comics, and he looks like a beagle for no reason whatsoever. Okay, there you go. And we're dealing in some obscure stuff here, folks. Right. And uh, Amazing Man, I forgot, Amazing Man was a millionaire. Because he won first place in a uh, magazine subscription company's sweepstakes. And so he subscribed to sense. every magazine that the company offered because he felt obligated. <laughs> Including the pornos. Right on. Uh, I get that. He read them only for the articles. For real. Sure. Sure. That makes sense. Fantastic question this week. God, that was fun. We did get in some weird we couldn't have done it without you guys. Thank you so much for everybody that answered. We got a new question. It is already up on the forums. Joe Patrick, tell them what it is. This week's question came from, if I recall correctly, Black Scorpion the Three, who pointed out that it was Fashion Week recently, if it's not still. I think it still is. I mean, I don't know. Who knows? And so he wants to know which comic book characters have the best and worst fashion sense. I love this. I already have both my answers. I'm going to have to really think about it. Oh, I've got mine. Okay. No, I take that back. I've got my worst. I don't have my best. I've definitely got my worst, though. As always, guys, if you want to share your answers with us, there's Alec. My good friend Alec Baldwin is going to share that information with you on how to do so in just a minute here. But thank you again for everyone that called. Go to the THN forums and post, please post links to all these weird, obscure comics that you guys mentioned so we can share them with others and things like what was it thunder fist or whatever the hell <laughs> i can't remember now <laughs> it's uh, yeah something kane and dinky on the road and sadist and seven sons and eel mansions etc all this stuff it deserves life you love it let other people know why post some links to this so we can see this stuff it's so cool and again thank you everybody for your calls we will have a new episode of the two-headed nerd hitting this weekend but for now almost two goddamn hours later this is the two-headed nerd signing off alec baldwin here hope you enjoyed this episode of the answer of the week and if you'd like to play along you can leave joe and matt a message at 402-819-4894 Send your MP3 answer to twoheadednerd at gmail.com or leave a Skype message for the username twoheadednerd. Sometimes, just as I'm falling asleep, I pass gas and pretend it's a little bit of my soul leaving my body. (laughs) 